Welcome to Welcome to Where Wellbeing Meets Art. Where Wellbeing Meets Art. Welcome to Where Wellbeing Meets Art. Where Wellbeing Meets Wedding. And where they depart. And where they depart. Welcome to Where Wellbeing Meets Art. And where they depart. Welcome back to Where Wellbeing Meets Art and Where They Depart. I'm really excited about today's special guest. I'm just so interested in what's going to be said in this chat uh, and talk about Tonic Music and talk about you. Tonicmusic.co.uk if you don't know about them. So Geordie, I just wanted to ask you just a little brief description of what Tonic's doing and, and what you're working on at the moment. Yeah, thanks for having us, Brett. Tonic Music for Mental Health was founded 11 years ago by Steph Langan, and it started out in Portsmouth as a CIC and then eventually become a registered charity where the, the ethos was about providing music workshops for people in the general public in recovery from mental ill health. And it, it did that for a number of years. And then in 2021... Um, Tonic also then founded the Tonic Rider Program. And that's when I joined Tonic. So the Tonic Rider Program has the aim of promoting good mental health in the music industry. So this is a program focusing on supporting and training artists, crew, and anyone working in the music industry within the UK. And it started off with a series of online peer support groups, which are facilitated and still facilitated by Adam Fycheck and also Mental Health First Aid training fully accredited by mental health first aid england and, and since then the program has expanded um, we now offer suicide first aid light training we do a mental health awareness in the music industry course we have a weekly drop-in group we've had a series of workshops over the years so we've done workshops on music performance anxiety emotional resilience acceptance and commitment therapy we've had well-being workshops so the program since has really, really expanded. The fantastic thing is being a registered charity, um, the peer support groups are free to attend, um, the mental health awareness in the music industry course and other training courses are free to attend. So the other thing I heard about Tonic Rider is you've actually sent people out on tours and you've mm. had people backstage. Can, can you talk a little bit about that work? Yeah, so a new initiative we started um, this year really is our backstage support program. So we have previously we've gone on tour with the specials. So Terry Hall was one of our founding patrons. We've been on tour with the Dub Pistols. Barry Asher was one of our patrons, and we've also lucky enough been on tour with the Libertine. So we've we've done tour work before, and we've always had a presence at festivals such as Mucky Weekender, Victorious, Boomtown, with our Tonic Music Nevermind Sigma stand for fans at the festival. But this year, what's been great is that we've actually launched our backstage support where we're offering advice and support to artists and crew backstage in the green room at festivals. So we did this um, first at Takedown Festival in Portsmouth, which is a rock and metal festival based in the Guildhall. We've just come back from doing Nibley Festival in Gloucestershire, um, which is a two-day festival. And then we're looking to do, so we'll be doing it again um, in Victoria's Festival in Portsmouth and really expanding that programme. So what does that look like if you're backstage? Like what sort of stuff comes up and what's your response to that? So when you're backstage at a festival, it's a really quite hectic and loud and very sort of um, 
organ organized chaos, I suppose it is really backstage at a festival where you've got the dressing rooms, you've got the crew and everyone's running around. Um the way we provide our backstage support. So we we're there with our stand for starters, with our mental health scenes that were developed. So we currently have a range of sixteen mental health scenes which are tailored to the music industry, little pocket scenes. Um we have these on the stand we also have our Tonic Rider boxes, which are a little package for arts and crew to take away information about Tonic Rider. And there's a digital version with a QR code. So th- those are dotted around the festival. The, the people on the stand are, are mental health professionals on the team and the people who work at Tonic Rider. So th- there is the option for the advice and support. There's the option for a little mini one-to-one session should it be needed in like a quiet space because at time festivals can be really difficult. And then also as well, we're really expanding this with Victoria. So we're having like a bigger area. So we'll have more mental health professionals around on the day at Victoria's that can pop into the Tonic Rider stand should there be an artist crew, anyone working at the festival who needs that support, needs kind of a um, a real private, more in-depth chat. It's great, man. It's like all the things I missed out on when I was at my worst as a touring drummer sort of mentally you know and 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 you really appreciate what that's how i when i saw you guys i was like i really appreciate this work and how approachable you guys are from from the off um you know there's no ego here you really believe it i know i know steph really believes it and that's why this grassroots from what i understand is it started as a sort of music therapy service originally in in a studio in Portsmouth, right? Yeah, so we had originally our tonic shop and then we had a larger HQ as well um, where we had music workshops. We also had a scar choir as well for several years. So what specifically do you do at Tonic and what sort of thing are you working on at the moment? So in terms of my role, I am the program coordinator of the Tonic Rider program. Um, so that involves sort of daily sort of design, managing, reviewing the program and working as part of an amazing team because luckily our facilitators who provide our courses, groups, workshops are all musicians or from the music industry but with mental health qualifications. So you have that double, that doubleness where the music industry experience and the qualification to deliver mental health workshops. Um, and this year has been really, again, we're only, in our, you know, this is our third year of the programme, but it really is about expanding now into the outreach. So we've got the online programme, we've got the resources, now it's about reaching out to the industry. So we've had a couple of years of the industry come to us, but now it's us to go and do the backstage support, for us to go and do more conferences, more podcasts to talk about the programme we offer. Um, which has been really great. And, and as our team expands, so we're looking at working at more events, but then also looking to doing more Tonic events again, because originally Tonic ran a festival. So there was Tonic Fest 1 and 2, um, which had Terry Hall perform and also Barry Ashworth and the Dub Pistols. So we're looking to do that again. And obviously, you know, we, we met in person for the first time when Tonic Ride had a launch event at the 100 Club, and it was like a mini conference where we had... Um, people from the industry and mental health talking about mental health in the music industry. We had a full day of like 16, 17 interviews. So we want to do that again as well. So let me tell you my experience of that. It was just after lockdown. And, and when I came in and saw Steph and I was like, and she was like, all right. And I was like, yeah, I'm feeling quite, I was kind of socially anxious, actually. Jade was interviewing musicians, music industry professionals, 
about their experiences of mental health and, it, and probably had an influence on this pod, right? Because it's that conversation. But this was hearing other people's edgy stories and they were just 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there. And, and it was just so inspiring. It, it just, I think, it, you know what? I hadn't really thought about, obviously the book inspired this pod, but I hadn't actually thought that probably that was in my head right I, I was there for a day watching people being interviewed some very high profile some not you know but in all different areas of the industry and I was just like fuck this, this is so healthy because you just realize oh I'm not I'm not the fuck up it's not just me everyone's got shit by the way that phrase everyone's got shit even if they look like they haven't got shit they've definitely had shit or have shit that's that's the deal, right? We've all got challenges in life and it's amazing. So it's so inspiring. And and that's what you did in lockdown. I joined one of the peer groups and I think I only made a few sessions. Like I think it's six weeks, right? And I made a few sessions. Yeah. Because uh, yeah. my diary's all over. But but that, so Adam Firecheck was the drummer in Baby Shambles, right? That's the deal. Still is as well. Still is. So he was at the sharp end of the rock and roll. He lived that. And he talks about and shares about, and he held this group. If I was going to describe my experience as a peer group, it's a sharing group. How are you all doing? This is quite shit lockdown, particularly. And again, an encouraging a space to share, but you don't have to. And and don't worry, anything you say here is completely confidential. We've all agreed on that. And he's just there, sort of guiding the chat, but but allowing total space. And that that whole process of talking about your shit with other people about their shit and and that and by the way, the other thing I thought about when you were talking was I my first process was was therapy and it was sort of child trauma therapy specialist stuff. But I remember having to map out my job in the music industry, which took like three sessions probably. And then there'd always be these nuances that I had to explain about, no, it doesn't quite work like that in my gig, you know. And so that's all off the, that's all there. Everyone knows what's going on. Industry, And, and, and I think this is the, one of the important things is we often use the term music industry, singular, when in reality it's music industries, plural, because you've got the live music industry, you've got the recording industry, you've got the touring industry, you've got you know, the different areas in terms of like merch and in terms of um, like PR and stuff like that. So you've got all these different industries on top of different genres. So rock, hip hop, dance, pop, you you know, musical theatre, for example, classical. Which have slightly different cultures. Without doubt. Yeah. So it's almost like there's a shared, a shared understanding amongst the music industry shall we say in terms of experiences of poor mental health mental ill health the difficulties the barriers but with slight differences as well based on their role based on the genre that they're in which is the the beauty of it some episodes ago a comedian adam wilder and i've got tom stayed but mm. then there's sort of micro differences in each each realm but you're you're working with everyone like yeah, creative so industries with um yeah, so really, you know, it's a focus on musicians and the music industry. But people um, in but the we music know, industry. 
Yeah, people in the music industry. So again, artists, crew, tour managers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, anyone working in the music industry. And again, it's it's very rare that you can speak to someone and they go, "This is my role in the music industry, and I only do that." There's like multiple roles, and sometimes that then blends into multiple roles within the creative field. And then We've we got also to earn know some fucking money. Yeah, without a doubt, you're talking a small percentage of people who, from one role in the music industry, can consistently make money from that and don't have to do other roles. And then also not forgetting that a lot of music professionals have other work roles outside the music industry. And that's that's nothing to be ashamed of. That That's nothing what we essentially, we don't discriminate against that because it, you know, we know how difficult the music industry is. All right, I'm going to out us now because I did actually out myself with Keith Cooper, who's also a football fan. Unfortunately, he's a Chelsea fan. And I explained to the people, like, go back and listen to Keith Cooper, my justification for liking football. But if you're in a National League side, there's very many semi-pro guys, and that's a massive commitment. It's way harder. You're juggling a, a money thing, and then you're using all your spare time to follow this creative pursuit. And actually, I think it's more pressure because if you're like a conference player, I've got to carry on with the football analogy, but if you're a painter, a decorator, and you play for Barnet, who are pretty shit, but you're a you're a semi-pro footballer and you spend so much time playing football, but you've also got to do your painting and decorating, that commitment level, and also there's loads of reasons why it hasn't happened for you at a higher level, but you're still doing it. It's it's really it's a big thing. So you're also inviting people like that. Yeah, so it's not a real, footballers. It's a real balance, isn't it? Not yeah. footballers. Um, well, you don't know, musicians yeah. who are footballers. Um, there was hold on, yes. sorry. I, at the hundred club, I met. Mm. So I met uh, the guy that raps with uh, um, mm. Dub Pistols. So, Shawnee, Shawnee T. Shawnee T, right? Because he's really good friends with Micah Hyde. He's an excellent player. I might edit this stuff out. But I've got to say, so Shawnee's <laughs> friends with Micah. But also, Shawnee's, his son, like Micah's son was playing, Shawnee's son was playing. Did they, they did a charity football match. Actually, this is great. They, they did. did a charity they football did. Match. They did. And I could make Shawnee's it. Shawnee's on it. Yes, yeah. country. I really wanted to come. Anyway, yeah. So you do you do that? You did. We're hoping to do another one. We're hoping to do another another football based event. So Shawnee Shawnee um, organised Shawnee Tonic FC, which was in Tonbridge, um, with great success. So a combination of musicians, footballers, other people in the arts playing a charity football game. It's real good fun, really fantastic. So we're looking forward to doing that again. Um, but to answer your question in terms of yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one because it's like what is particularly with musicians but i think you get this with crew as well what is a professional musician that's a really difficult question to answer because is it about making money from music and how much money is it is it like busking is it like doing function events is it doing grassroots gigs and then so we know we we know who we would qualify as professional musicians so your stadium headline you know stadium shows your glassy headline artists of course but there is a there is a line and for us it's about you know particular musicians uh, you know earning income with, within the last three years usually because again there's there's no regular income um that's ingrained in that music industry so live music industry recorded music industry because it's, it's it's a very it's a very fluid 
very fluid term, isn't it? I mean, you usually get the term bedroom musicians, but there's musicians such as I, I always forget his name. I always forget his name. But there's musicians who have won multiple Grammys from their bedroom. Yeah. When I was in management, I figured out that I needed to ask the artist the question because I saw a few pitfalls. If you never made any money out of this, would you still be making music? And if they said <laughs> no, I'd tell them to fuck off because they, they're not committed. I think it's commitment. If you do it, loads and loads and loads and you're in a band and you do gigs because even if you're not earning all your money, you're committed. And, and it's that commitment for me, for me personally, that makes the difference between... And, and dude, look, like some of these people that are doing it semi-professionally have been playing for like 30, 40 years, you know. They're, they're, they're a serious musicians. But I think it must be quite rare for musicians. The, the, all the musicians I've met, I don't, I think they all have that commitment. They Like that's sort of like the identity element to their art. So it doesn't matter whether they're busking, whether they're doing weddings, whether they're doing the pub circuit up to doing stadium the commitment you know if, if they're you know if, if things are going well but i i always think that commitment that love of music tends to be there so t take me as an example i try not to speak about me too much on this thing but but it's a prime example right because i was a pro drummer i i realized i don't want to be a session player i'd like to make it in a band they keep splitting up from egos and I make a decision that I think I'm more useful to the universe being in the biz side as the previous artist. And and, and after 20 years, that's happening, right? But it took, took ages, obviously, because I played drums for ages. I needed to learn the business. Luckily, I'm going to edit this. Anyway, basically, <laughs> I still play drums all the time. <laughs> and I play... Yeah very casual sessions or or with friends bat and i always find people to jam with and it's just there and every at least every other week i'm in a rehearsal room and i'm playing at home and of course it, so that that's the bottom line right it, it it's the creation i think as soon as we start talking about money and earning a living off of it and that's what i hated about session playing mm. That, yeah. that I had to take the gig, right? Because I was paying the rent. The conundrum is making a living out of it. And I guess also you come in there because that that's the whole touring thing. And I really want to dig in slightly more. If you could kind of give like anonymous examples of the kind of shit you're dealing with in the rider programme, like especially live, because it, just, just to really paint that picture. So in terms of the issues we encounter, they're quite multiple and very varied, quite diverse, because we know that there's particular, almost unique stresses to the music industry. So we know that first and foremost, there's the sort of musician stresses around performance anxiety, around creative blocks, for example. So those are your core musician stresses, aren't they? And then we start looking at the industry and what does the stresses of the industry entail? You know, we're talking about touring, being away from home and that sort of lack of sleep, poor nutrition, you know, the sort of um, strange hours, the overworking to then doing a show, doing a show, doing a show. You know, you've got the effects of what it's like after show, so that post-show blues, and then coming off a tour, the post-tour blues as well, so you, ha you have that element. You've got the sort of lack of autonomy around 
making a record where you've got different people around you sort of like making decisions for you. So you, you have that element. You then got the negative feedback. So being criticised in the media, being criticised by your label, your manager, or fans, social media, real big thing at the moment. Digital burnout, really, really, really difficult. So you, so you have, again, you know, all these multiple things, the effects of fame, the effects of not achieving fame that you, that, that you desire. So you have that. The identity aspect, and this is what we find with a lot of musicians, I think all the musicians we work with, the work being so tied in with identity. And we mentioned you know, painters and decorators and builders. And, you know, in my very, very young <laughs> career, I worked at a tool shop, for example. So I, you know, talked to builders, plumbers, painters and decorators. I don't believe their identity is tied to their occupation. Some, maybe, it's different, isn't it? Especially because it's personal. The songwriting is personal. The songwriting can be, can involve a lot of... Um, sort of neurotic experiences, should we say, you know, that sort of stress and stuff. So it's all these unique stresses, not forgetting that the music industry as well also encounter day-to-day stresses that all of us encounter, you know, paying bills, um, family, you know, and relationship difficulties, you know, stuff to do with, you know, past and all things like that. So you mustn't forget that element as well. How do you find people coming in to use various services for the first time so every day is a learning experience isn't it and i think that's whether um we're musos or not and it's always interesting because there's always new stuff you learn from people coming in the program and just and just generally people in the music industry talking to us where you just learn of new experiences i think for me so the way i got into tonic rider was through so i'm an academic researcher of mental health in the music industry and that just come about just through me being an enormous music fan um music nerd shall we say music really helped my mental health as a teenager and as a young person growing up so for me the reason i went down the academic research route of mental health in the music industry was to understand why the people who supported my mental health through their music were themselves experiencing poor mental health and mental ill health. So I did the research, you know, still doing research now. But then, by chance, met Steph Langen um, of Tonic and started working at Tonic. And it's been an absolute dream. And it's really wonderful because as part of the, you know, the core team on the Tonic Rider programme, you have my colleague Jade, you have Adam Frycheck, both musicians, both from mental health backgrounds. So it's learning from them as well. What I want to know is you, you said that these musicians kind of saved you, helped you mm. with poor mental health. Can we just dig in? Because part of this deal is accepting that we've all been through it and may mm. you go through it again, but we're up for chatting about it because that's fucking powerful. How do you get out of that and be Geordie now? You know, that's that's the deal. So The way music worked, and, and I didn't don't think I realised this until... You know, into the adulthood and the age I am now is, you know, going through, I think we all go through those teenage years of being at school and being the sort of, having the difficulties. So for me, it was about, I'm from a council estate, single parent family, um, and going to a school that's within a middle-class town. That can be quite difficult because you, you know, sort of integrating can be difficult. Again, I didn't understand social class at the time so it's difficult for me 
um, found school really difficult. And I remember my mum gave me an MP3 player and I didn't really understand why. So like, what am I going to put on this? So I wasn't a music fan at the time. And then I eventually did. And then from that, you know, developed into the iPod. I still have a classic iPod, you know, the old big 160 gigabyte one. And it was just about finding all all the, these bands and these solo artists and these DJs. So like I said, you know, Linkin Park and then Block Party were a particularly big band in my life um, for a long time. And then you got like, Maccabees and Foles and then going into Bring Me the Rise and 21 Pilots. But then as it expands, you know, we're very... Um, we're very good at listening to English language, you know, national, international level bands. But, you know, there's band, Spanish language bands I listen to and then there's French language and then there's bands you might consider local level. So, for example, there's a band in Suffolk called The Mighty Flux, who are one of my favourite bands of all time. Um, they, you know, play in Suffolk. There's a festival they're associated with, which is Mary Wari. So it's all really, really um, great stuff. And again, it's just it's just not known nationally. It's that kind of, you know, their albums are some of my favourite stuff. So it's also just about recognising how music helps. And, it, and for me, it's really eclectic. And that's, again, another reason why I love Tonic and work at Tonic is because Tonic has that eclecticness about multiple genres. So you've got your rock, you've got punk, you've got modern ska, then you've got hip hop and grime, you've got dance and like dubstep, electronic music, you, you know, you've got elements of like country and pop it's that's the amazing thing first of all there's gold in every genre for me linkin park is <laughs> not that gold in that genre but anyway <laughs> it's subjective right that's the beauty of it this is the point the idea of warring against someone because they don't like the same music as you i mean that's like school oh, playground yeah, shit isn't it? back in the day certainly when i was in school there was a real tribalness. So I, I felt there was like three tribes in my school. So you had your real cool kids who listened to pop, hip hop and R&B. So these are like the most popular kids in school. That's what they listened to. You then had your alternate, you, no, you, you then had your indie kids who listened to, say, like I said, you know, Foles, Maccabees, slightly more middle class. You know, they weren't quite sort of the Premier League of being popular, but they didn't get any sort of, rubbishness from the cool kids it was kind of like they were sort of accepting the parties and for me and my friends we were put in the alternative group and we we naturally did listen to rock and metal but it was like the alternative group were like no they're just the alternative group which and it wasn't until like you don't school shower, in college. you don't bath yeah uh, you've got long hair they're <laughs> the weird perception? the weird yeah wearing black you know what i mean listening to like kids are evil for example though, um, we're evil to each other straight, at school it's not like that now, because when I went to college, then that seemed to dissipate. And then that's like, you know, when the world really opened. But I feel like now with young people and for all the negatives and the sort of the difficulties around streaming in the music industry, we know that's quite difficult. But one thing that's done for music fans is that for young people, it's just opened their world up to music. So they listen to different genres and different eras. And, there's, and I reckon those tribes probably don't really exist anymore. I really think it's quite, um, yeah. Okay, that's really interesting because this is part of well-being, right? I like the fact that we reflect on our connection to music because it reminds you of why you fucking love what you do, even when shit's going wrong. Yeah, so that's the relevance <laughs> of this conversation. Be when I was at school, so I I, I was not okay. Uh, I'd just been adopted. 
and also my dad had fucked off and there's loads of fucking shit going on in the house it's unstable i don't trust any adults but i went i'd seen the drum kit on open day where we went around the school and i was like what the fuck is that i, I played a bit of piano mm. but my bro was four years older way better pian- he's the pianist so i'm gonna have to find something <laughs> else but then i see the fucking drums and the sick formers playing along to Jimi hendrix and I, I didn't know what was going on i was like what the fuck they're drums you can learn okay sign up I had to convince my mum and she's like you're not getting a drum kit for a year the teacher actually recommended after six months so i was in but this guy was weird i've got to tell the story because of my connection to music he used to smoke rothmans in the drum lesson mm-hmm. i was 11 in the music block and smoke a whole rothmans and put on duke ellington big band and my granddad was into shit big band like glenn miller but he's putting on ellie's about had a point of reference and then he put on english big band this guy had lived in america for 20 years and he's going brad you see they don't swing he had this twang and he called me brant brant they don't swing the english and then he'd go back to ellington and most people were quitting going this guy's a fucking weirdo and he's smoking and what hardly playing in the lesson then you do a harsh technique class where if your stick goes too high he's sort of hit your hand lightly with a stick and go, no, too high, right? And it's just single stick it. And I, I was like, but I'm fat. Something inside, you know, when you don't have words, I'm like, I'm sticking with this guy because he's fucking weird and fascinating. I don't know what's going on. And mum would be like, how's your drum lesson? I'm like, I don't fucking know, right? And it's funny to reflect <laughs> on this stuff. And he'd stub his Rothmans out with his fingers because he, he played loud percussion. For years, he was brainwashing me in fucking jazz. And then, you know, I was playing like Rolling Stones and shit like that in my brother's function covers band. But to this day, it's like, fuck, you know, this shit works. If you listen to people talk and listen to shit over and over, it's like that goat, that goat gets internalized. It's sort of years. So then I'm into fucking big band, but also I'm going to every band in the morning before school because there's a lack of drummers and playing timps and shit. I was terrible at that because I couldn't, I couldn't be arsed reading. And <laughs> and then I was playing, so I was playing with my bros band and they were all older than me, so they're kicking me off. So I'm playing big band with this guy. I mean, it's probably shit for like years and years, but there's loads going on. But then, so then I find that I've learnt loads of, pop rock covers i'm learning about jazz and then i find uh this guy anthony in my latin class is into like the pixies and prince and he introduced me to prince and, and actually i do have a favorite artist it's prince because he he serves all my needs mm-hmm. but that the point is about that and i might edit some of that but basically the because uh, I can edit that when I say I'm going to edit it. So that's dude. This connection, it's like, how much do we know what's going on now? Like that, you know, this sort of melting pot of connection and knowledge going on, right? That's always going on if we want it to be going on. But at the time, it's not that you're like twelve and you don't remember anything. It's like you're 12 and you're you're in this thing and you're interested in shit you're interested in and you cancel that out. But we're still doing that, right? That that whole building connection with shit. And and you you see it as a perfect picture in history, but 
but it, it's always quite weird and messy and sort of coming yeah. together. I like that little I think chat. one of the things as well to sort of spin on top of that as well is we were, we were talking about sort of our love of music and how music has helped us. And we mustn't forget that for the musicians and also you know, the crew and the other participants that come on the Tonic Body programme, all of them fell in love with music at one point. So the musicians specifically all, all had a point where they fell in love with music and it become their passion. And it's for us as well. I don't know, Adam Fajchet talks a lot about this and it's really, really fantastic how he talks about this. Um, it is about, you know, how do we ensure that musicians still love music and still have that love and that passion? And if it is, if it does decline because of difficulties in the career, how do we get that back? Because I think that's, I think that maybe that loss of love of music probably is quite impactful towards men mental health and it's probably something that's not discussed enough. So uh, when I made the switch to management, I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. But I didn't play drums for two years. I was playing <laughs> like gigs every other night and practising. And, and after two years, I got my first office. Like I went back to my parents' house to set up the management company. Um, so the story is, I'm doing a deal with EMI Japan for a band that I'm I'm managing. They've got their own label, and it's seven in the morning. And my mum comes in and says, "You got any washing?" And I'm like, "I've got to get a fucking office." So Itchy's like, "You okay, Brad?" I'm like, "No, it's just it's a sorry, you know, not, not obviously not explaining that I'm living at my parents at 27." So I I got office and I I had Roland V drums, and I set them up in the office. And I drove to Brixton at like five in the morning, three times a week, listening to Farming Today, which is banging. <laughs> and uh, I'd do two, three hours practice because I was fucking depressed. I didn't want to be, I used to be a drummer. How shit. I used to be a professional drummer, but I've got no chops anymore. And I went to college and shit. It, it, was, it, it freaked me out. And so a few days and I'm like, okay, I could do this. It's three, six months to get back in. But um, I realised that I was lacking that connection for that couple of years. And I, suddenly I was like, oh, fuck, of course, of course I've got to do this. You know, and, and what you said, really important what you said, right? Sometimes you're going to fall out of love because it's your fucking job. Mm -hmm. and, and people, fuck you, you make mistakes, whatever happens. And... and but that's why we were talking about our connection to music. You know, it's so important, like, go back to basics. Like, why why the fuck do I like this? Or, But sometimes it's too hard, right? You need to speak to you guys and go, I can't fucking play any music. I don't feel like it. You know, like mm -hmm. that sort of vibe where you're sort of a rock bottom with it. Or, like, it's interesting, man, because the whole point of this chat as well, which I think I stole from Tonic's, Day at the Hundred Club is doesn't matter the profile of it's so funny, isn't it? Because it's subconscious, right? But you've influenced it. And what a great work, man! Great work. Because a natural thing for me to do to talk about this stuff. But basically, now we've had you on, it's like a, a, a closing of the circle. It's like a, an endorsement. I'll probably edit this. So, dude, the 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 <laughs> uh, this thing about profile. 
So the first pub we did was Dave Mitchell, who I'd played Samba with 20 years ago. No one knows <laughs> Dave Mitchell, except for the kids that he teaches or the bands, that people that see him in his couple of bands uh, who are touring. But it doesn't matter. It's it's people that are committed to art. It goes back to our point of, like, it doesn't matter if you're semi-pro. If you committed, good, fucking let's talk about music and, and don't feel the judgment and only judge yourself by your own merits. And the the social media thing is a can of worms. But essentially, mm-hmm. my message about that is don't judge. Classic band move, looking up other bands that have started at the same time as them or was in the festival billing one up. And they're like, why aren't we doing that? And then like having a go at their manager, who was me. And I'm like, because we don't know why. Because there's a whole thing going on that we don't know about. Maybe we need to tighten our game or, you know, aim higher, whatever it is. But uh, attacking each other in that scenario, it's like a poison. Like, they're doing better. Look at how many likes, engagement, whatever it is. Only judge yourself on your own merits. Am I doing better than I was? Are we better than we were as a band? And then it's a drug. How many people have liked our latest post? But it's not actually real. It it's well, it's an added thing, isn't it? It's added on where it used to be looking at single sales, album sales, looking at gig ticket sales. Now you've got the social media numbers as well, which is another another thing, isn't it? And it's like on posts and on sort of like the video clips. That's really really difficult. And I think again, we have to acknowledge. And this is not taken away from any artists who have, um, you know, who don't end up headlining festivals and sell platinum albums. There is an element of luck and chance within the music industry. It's just the nature of the industry. There's so many factors. It has to be the right person or the right people or the right time where it meets. So, look. This is not promo, but it kind of comes out of that. But it's a great example, right? We're just launching Polsky. Uh, probably by the time this comes out, their album's been out for a while. But we're discussing why it's going so well. So 15 months we've been releasing singles and remixes. So it's the first time in my life I've done that. But something told me to tell my colleagues and investors, guys, we've got to take our time on this. We've got to understand what we're doing. Every time we release a single, we learn more. We're building teams. And and, and and it's fucking magic. I've never done it before. And there's, But I'm also using all the fuck-ups. For me, I know I'm a reactionary. I'm impulsive. Brett, check that you're not being really ADHD here. And also discuss that with your colleagues. By the way, guys, sometimes yeah. I'm really impulsive. So it's that subtle learnings right but the only way you get there is by carrying on through all the shit but it still might not happen because you only need to hire one person that's not quite right or so many factors like what everyone knows there's so many factors and again it comes back to i think there's a message here for people that haven't made it to fucking arenas yet that's not the fucking gig here. If you can survive and eat off your art, that's a fucking miracle. And that's it. 
And if you can't, but you still do it, that's a fucking miracle too. Yeah. And also, also you raise, you know, just sort of the really, a really good point actually about how, again, how, how the music industry really does work where it's a case of you know we just mentioned that sort of chance and the 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 luck element as well and also sort of being happy with you know sort of look at yourself but i think also you when you sort of said about adhd and the traits of adhd and how some how some of your behaviors um you know even in your work life isn't that something that we're aiming towards as a society where we can all sit around when we're working together and go Look, I have, whether it's this diagnosis or whether it's ADHD or I have a diagnosis of, I don't know, BPD, PTSD, and this is how, this is the traits and behaviours that are displayed. This is what happens. Wouldn't that just be the dream? Where, where we can all talk around, you know, because, you know, the traits of mental health disorders or neurodiversity disorders, wouldn't that be really wonderful to be, to, we can all work together and go, this is how I am. Sometimes that's for the positive and sometimes for the negative. And, and we had that open conversation. But this is what we're doing. We're mm-hmm. encouraging that. Right. And you, the, you've been, for me, you've been the centre for that, like uh, uh, an organisation that's committed to that and showing it is okay. It's another way. This is okay, this chat. So we're doing this now. That's how it starts, right? And just saying, like, I could be perceived as being successful but in three days, I might stay in bed till midday because I'm having mm-hmm. a fuck out pressure. And my missus be like, Brett, you always kind of do this like you, you, before a big meeting or whatever. You, you're like, I'm going to be judged and checked. And and they always go pretty well, you know, like and it's just knowing that, that that's the vulnerability that I didn't show when I wrote the book. I wasn't there yet. I was more like this is a great Bible for doing music industry, you know, and and actually it's this conversation that's the most powerful. Everyone's got shit. That phrase is so good. Mm-hmm. Just don't forget that. Like people just might hide it, which is not good. So I learned that the impact, it, it it's so big. As soon as you start chatting about it, you're like, fuck, this is really helpful. Even though, the first five minutes is like, oh, I don't really want to tell you about a shit. So I often just go, look, I was sexually abused by three different family members when I grew up. Now you go. <laughs> Dude, you've got to tell us about the flying, the flying event uh, as a fundraiser, because I reckon people should get involved in that. Yeah, we're about that. And the good thing is we, we are wing, wing walk and shit. We are doing it again next year. Um so it'll be confirmed very soon the date and it will be out there. So um, to, f- to fund the Tonic Rider Program, we run, or Barry Ashworth from the Dub Pistols runs um, Barry's Flying Circus, which involves um, people. So it can be people from the music industry, it can be people outside the music industry, doing a wing walk. So there's a whole day of wing walks um, to raise money for the Tonic Rider Program. So each wing walker raises a minimum of £1,500. Um, and then there's different levels of wing walks. So I think there's three levels, if I remember rightly. So the first, if you want to do it multiple years, the first year you do a basic wing walk, and the second you do like a loop-de-loop, um, that kind of thing. So it's been really great. So Barry, Barry Ash has done it every year for us, doing the wing walk, and it's a really fantastic event. And we're next year's event will be 
like a, a sort of a, a full day of events with music and entertainment as well as the kids. So it's like an open day. Really yeah, we're really because it's re- a spectacle. It, yeah, and it's such a great Maybe thing. Maybe we it's could have a, a football, football game going on as well. Like at yeah, well, just types. the thing. We're lucky that we're going to do so. We've got Barry's Fine Circus, Shawnee Tonic FC, and there's going to be more fundraising events throughout the year and into next year as well for Tonic, which has been really, really, really. Might fantastic. try and bring a so... few books, sell them, and give you the money. <laughs> yeah, either just that or pulp it, them, it... like Alan Partridge, like pulp them. But, uh, it's, it's interesting because one one year we had Bez, Bez from Happy Mondays do a wing walk and he took up his maracas. Um, which oh, I love it. Marvellous. Uh, brilliant. <laughs> Tell me. Did you hear them? Are they so, mic'd up like radio mics? <laughs> Dude, I heard about this because I was mar- ma- managing, uh, oh my God, it's a church. And I don't. I, I got this label job and I just couldn't do it anymore. But Amy and Ben are good mates. And Amy, introdu- Amy introduced me to, to you guys. If you've never seen I'm on God, it's a church. It's festy season. You've got to fucking go to their gig. It's just... you—you you, can't even give you an elevated pitch. You just need to go. Uh, but she's she did the first one, but she's a biker. Her and Ben love their bikes. And she was banging. She's like, I can't believe I've got to start. She wants to do the next one. So I'll come and see her do the third level next year. But, dude, 1,500 <laughs> quid each. How many people do it? So, uh, again, it depends how many uh, wing walkers yeah. we get. So it could be between, like, 20 and 40. Um, hopefully next year will be a real real big one because we're taking a year out this year. Um, so it's yeah, earlier okay. next year. So it'll be sort of late spring. Um, so we can really, um, yeah, get a, make it a real, real Are fantasy. Are you doing that about to be able to plan it? A, a bigger day you've taken the year out to do that yeah so it's about us making it a bigger day and also so we can do the the more of the entertainment music side as well because we think that's really important us to develop because one of the amazing things about tonic as a charity and also steph's vision with tonic is to always build upon what we've already done so you do a real sort of big event and then it's like the next year we do it bigger and better and that's another wonderful thing about working at tonic is that um, the vision always comes, doesn't it? So we really looking forward to it. Dude, I think that there's a message. If you're committed to music, you're a muso. Everyone's got shit. And check out tonicmusic.co.uk. Just get in touch with them if you if you want to know anything or be involved. Like this is where it's at for us. Like we need. This is. I feel like, because uh, I knew what it's like without this stuff going on, no conversation. Now we've got organisation, you've got events, you've got online stuff all the time. Uh, at, like the mental health uh, first aid that I did, mm-hmm. fucking great. Like what a gift that you did, you know, just to have those conversations about really difficult shit that's going to come up because we're a bit unhinged. It's fucking great, man. Thanks so much, Geordie. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Add anything, any promo, and thanks Steph a lot, and thank Jade, and like thank you. Really, seriously, it's not like arse licking. It's like you you're doing such great work. It's it's a gift for us. Well, we've our new website, so tonicmusic.co.uk, brand new website. Um, you've got the Tonic Rider section, so it's got all the courses, groups and workshops we have on offer with the registration button. So it's one registration form for all of it together. 
Um, we also have our free zines that you can download and print from the website. So it's 16 Just zines. Just name drops some titles of the zines, by the way. So, so, so we've got, for example, we've got a stress scene, we've got an anxiety scene, depression, music performance anxiety, problematic substance use. So massive range. We've always got the suicide prevention safety plan zine as well, which is really important because it's got where you can um, write in your own steps if you encounter a crisis and a suicide ideation. Um, and then there's more information as well about our backstage support, also our videos. We've got videos on the YouTube channel, which is grounding techniques, and then we've got our blog as well. So the, the range of stuff we do for the music industry is all available to see on our website. This is tight stuff, man. Loving it. Thanks so much, Geordie. Really appreciate you coming. And there'll be like links in the show notes. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a five-star rating. And if you want to help other people find the podcast, you can leave a review. Only takes 20, 30 seconds. That would be lovely. See you next time.